this letter was uh, written uh, by a man named Paul. Uh, Paul was uh, appointed by Jesus himself uh, to be uh, God's, one of God's authorized spokespersons. Um, so God is speaking on behalf, uh, or Paul is speaking on behalf of God to, uh, to the people of God. Uh, and Paul had been planting some churches established on the basis and foundation of the good news of the gospel. Uh, this good news of the gospel is that one is made right with God, uh, declared to be right by God, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We've seen that, uh, that the freedom that comes uh, from Jesus, from uh, the, 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 the weight and burden of, uh, of the law, uh, is fulfilled through what he, he, he has done. We are saved in, uh, in a way that's completely disconnected from our keeping and fulfilling the law because we can't. It's only through what Jesus has done. But we've also begun to see that uh, uh, Jesus has uh, saved us from, from the penalty of the law, uh, but he's also given us freedom. Freedom that comes uh, and is experienced of us being freed up to obey and follow God, to live again in a relationship of trust and obedience and dependence, that uh, the guidance for that comes from the law uh, in a way that, that shows us how to live out our lives as God's free people experiencing this gospel freedom. Um, but if you're like me, if you're like the, the people in the church in Galatia, uh, we struggle to really live out the implications of the freedom that Jesus has secured for us. The freedom to live a life in dependency, in trust, in obedience, of living out the Christian life, following God as He would have us live our lives. That's difficult. We struggle with that. We struggle to live out the freedom that Jesus has secured for us. Um, and so uh, what we've begun to see is that as Paul, through the, the first over half of this letter, has been grounding his people in understanding what the good news of the gospel is and the means by which we are set free is through Jesus only. Now Paul is beginning to encourage the church of Galatia and us to understand more how do we live out life in that freedom that he has secured for us. And what we're going to see this morning is that Paul is going to is um, teaching the, the churches in Galatia and he's teaching us that in order to live out and experience the full implications of the freedom that we have in Christ as we live out the Christian life, that it's important that we uh, that we know our opposition, that we know our ally and we know our identity. So if you would look with me in Galatians uh, we're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. Um, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, uh, you'll find this on page 975 uh, in one of those Bibles. Um, we're going to start in verse 13 this morning, picking up a little bit at the tail end of what we looked at last week. And we're going to continue through the end of chapter 5. So going down through verse 26. So Galatians chapter 5. Uh, verse 13 down through uh, 5.26. So if you would, follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God for us this morning. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Um, and we pray uh, that this morning You would give us uh, insight into what it is You are, are teaching us as Your people this morning. Holy Spirit, guide my words um, that Christ would be exalted and that we would look and hope in Him. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in 2013, uh, a guy named Jamarcus Russell was drafted with the number one pick in the NFL draft by the Oakland Raiders. Um, he was uh, an incredible college quarterback, uh, performed uh, incredibly well, in fact, won a national championship with LSU, uh, and then um, uh, as he came to, to the Raiders, uh, he, he struggled to really perform as well as he, he did before. You see, in the, in the past, Jamarcus Russell was able to, to rely on, on his own ability in, his, in himself to overcome whatever the defenses would throw at him. He didn't have to work hard. He didn't have to prepare. He didn't really even have to, 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 to study and know his, his opposition and the opponent was coming at him because he could rely on his own ability and his own performance to overcome but when he got in the NFL, he found out things are completely different. And what the, the, the Raiders began to notice is that Jamarcus Russell was relying too much on himself. Uh, he, he refused to know and recognize the opposition and who he was up against. He failed to prepare. See, a big part of playing in the NFL is you, you take game tape. You, you watch old I don't think it's on tape anymore, but on videos of or digital whatever uh, of the team you're playing so that you know who your opposition is, how they're going to attack you so that you can defend or uh, evade it and move forward in the offense uh, appropriately. 
So they, they noticed Jamarcus was struggling in the games, and so they gave him more tape. He continued to struggle. Um, what, so what they began to try is they, they, they figured out he's not watching the, the game tape. And so they, they started giving him blank tapes. And he would come back on Monday or Tuesday after the weekend, and they'd say, Jamarcus, did you watch the game tape? Do you, do you understand and know the opposition that we're going to be facing this next week? And he'd say, yeah, sure, I watched all of it. They knew he hadn't because there was nothing on the tape. And what that led to was struggles and failures, and Jamarcus Russell could not perform, and he's no longer playing. Uh, you see, Paul is getting at the same thing here. Remember, he's been emphasizing to us that the Christian life, we don't enter into it based on our own performance. It's based on hoping and relying and trusting in Jesus. What we're going to begin to see here is Paul is beginning to going to lay out what it looks like for us to live out the Christian life in obedience and trust and dependency. And one of the first things he points to is it's going to be important uh, if we're going to, to live out the Christian life properly to experience the freedom that we have in Jesus is for us to know our opposition so that we can prepare and understand what we're up against. And here, Paul is emphasizing one aspect of the opposition that we face in our struggle to live out our freedom that Jesus has secured for us. Notice in verse 13 how he introduces this opponent. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul is saying there, there's something called the flesh that we will face. And the flesh is trying to, to disrupt this freedom that we have in Jesus. This freedom to live out a life in dependency and obedience and faithfulness to God. What does Paul mean by the flesh, this opponent, this opposition that we face? He's not talking about our skin flesh. There are other places where, where Paul uses that terminology to talk about our, our physical materialness, our fleshiness. Uh, here, he's talking about something different. How do we understand what he's, how he's using that term? Well, we look in context. So let's see how Paul uses it. Look down in uh, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul, as he's using this term flesh here, he's talking about something that is opposed to the desires and the purposes of God. Paul, over here, over and over, he says that the, the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. In fact, he even uses that uh, the terminology of opposition, of enmity. Look in uh, the end of verse 17. For these are opposed to each other. That's talking about using language that would, uh, would, would point to enemies and, and opponents. So what Paul is saying is that there is an, an opposition that we face 
that we're going to wrestle and battle against, that there are desires and longings that are opposed to God's intentions and purposes, what God would have us and how he wants us to live out our life and the freedom that we have in Jesus, something that he's terming the flesh, which is desires that are opposite of God's, that we are going to need to battle and wrestle against. But where did these, this flesh come from? Notice, Paul doesn't say the flesh comes from out there. It's something that comes from inside. Look, back up in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. These desires, these longings that Paul are describing actually come from inside us. That's why he's instructing the Galatians and he's instructing us to be on guard and to watch out for these fleshly desires, these desires that are contrary to God's intentions and purposes from, for us. Paul's saying you need to be aware. You need to know this opponent. But how, how is it possible that these desires that Paul is talking about are in us? I mean, Paul, you said in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Why then are they still active in us? Why do we still struggle with this opponent? Well, maybe it would help if we look at that ex- illustration Paul gives us to help us understand more about how this dynamic is at play. Let's think about crucifixion. Crucifixion is a form of execution um, that was carried out by, by the Romans. Uh, let's Think about how crucifixion, though, is different from something like the guillotine. Decapitation. What happens when the blade comes down upon the person they're executing? Instant. The head's gone, life is gone, dead, and never seeing breath or anything coming again. Crucifixion, though, is different. It's a drawn-out death. It's prolonged. It's painful. Although in the Roman Empire, once you were crucified and you were up on the cross, it meant sure death. There was no life going to end up at the end, except for Jesus who came back, but he died in the process. But it was sure death. It was definitive. This death is occurring, but it was a long, drawn out process. That's what Paul is saying here. That When we came to faith in Christ, when we looked and hoped in Him, the sure uh, declaration and act of, uh, of death occurred to these contrary desires within you. The things within the people of God that would rebel in and would be uh, opposed to the will and desires of our God, of His Spirit. Paul is saying... They're going to linger for a while. 
This is a process. This is very different and important for us to understand. This is what is being, Paul or other places we describe as justification. I mean, sanctification. What Paul has talked about before we saw was justification of us being declared right by God. That is an, is an, an act that God does. It happens immediately in a point in time where God looks at us and declares us to be righteous. It happens at that, that moment. The process of sanctification is, is, as it's described, a process that takes place over the course of our lives. Paul is saying through Jesus, the penalty for sin has been completely removed. But until he returns and comes again, the presence of sin, of these desires that are contrary to God, are still at work in us. And we need to be aware of this opponent, this opposition that we face that is coming up inside of us these desires and intentions that are going to struggle against what we really want to do. Do you notice that's what Paul says? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Being made new in Jesus means that there are new desires that come about because before the work of the Spirit in our lives, we would not want to follow God at all. But due to this, this understanding of this process of sanctification, this process of, of these uh, rebellious desires being ultimately and completely put to death is something that we are going to have to battle against. Paul is saying you need to recognize that you are in the midst of a war, in the midst of a battle, and you have an opponent that is in your own heart. For... Many of us this morning, uh, we need to recognize that. That the desires that we have that are contrary to the desires God has communicated, His intentions for us in the Scriptures, when our desires are different from that, we need to realize that that is an enemy. That is an opponent. That is contrary to and in complete and total opposition to God's intentions for you. We may sometimes want to justify and say why that doesn't apply to us in this time and place or in my life or my circumstances. But Paul is saying, know your opponent. And any time you see that your desires and that your longings come up and are contrary to God's desires and His intentions for you as revealed in Scripture, you need to recognize them for what they are, an opponent, an enemy. And although you may hear uh, lies that say, no, freedom can be found outside of obeying God. Freedom can be found outside of God's purposes for you. Paul is saying, realize and recognize you have desires in you that are actually and could be opponents of God's purposes. Realize it. Recognize it. And get rid of those. Others of us, though, would say, Paul, look, I get it. I completely understand I recognize these desires in my heart. I've been battling these for so long. For so long. And it seems like every time 
I stray and go against what I see God calling me to do and I'm living out my life in a way that is completely contrary to what He would do, I, I try to change. I mean, I've struggled with lust and pornography for so long. I've gotten rid of my computer. I've signed up for accountability. And these desires keep coming in. What am I supposed to do, Paul? Or I completely lose it with my kids all the time. And I try to feel bad about it whenever it happens. I try to apologize to them. And I make these, these rules and I set these, these goals for myself saying that this time's, the next time is going to be different. I'm never going to do this again. And I, and, and I set out with renewed strength. I even talk and have other people uh, encourage me in this. But I, but I fail over and over and over again. How, knowing this opponent, Paul, do I overcome it? And that's where Paul moves next. That it's not just that you need to know your opponent. You need to know your ally. Look in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit. Paul is saying the key to living out and experiencing the freedom that Jesus has secured to us comes through and by the Spirit. Notice, uh, even the way that Paul describes and talks about the Spirit, uh, uh, even though there's this battle going on against the flesh and the Spirit, it's, don't think the little cartoon you see of the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and they're battling and they're fighting, and if they're, you know, they're kind of equally matched, but maybe on one day one will get the upper hand on the other, and then you'll, that's what Paul's talking about. No. Paul is saying the Spirit is power. The Spirit is sufficient. And when you are walking in the Spirit, you will not gratify, follow after, fulfill these contrary desires that God has for you. Walking in the Spirit. It's not about relying on your own strength. It's not about your performance. It's not about you saying, I'm going to work harder next time and I will overcome it. Paul says, no, it's not resting and relying on yourself. Although there is going to be response that needs to happen. It's walking in the strength and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Notice as well where Paul says it doesn't come from. The key to overcoming the opponent also isn't Making more rules for yourself. Look at what he says in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Remember how Paul has been using this term under the law up to this point. Under the law was uh, what people were, were doing as they tried to use the law in ways and in, uh, for, for means and, in, and purposes that God didn't intend. In coming to, 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 to be saved, they were using the law as a means to find justification. That God, their performance of the law would merit them acceptance by God. Paul says that's wrong. 
But it's also the case uh, in sanctification. It's also the case as we live out the Christian life. It isn't you live out, you're saved by grace through faith apart from the law. And then when you're saved, it's up to you. You've got to do it yourself. Paul's saying, no, it's walking in the spirit. And it's not, there is no power in the law to, to redeem you, to bring about the change that's there. It can guide us. It can instruct us. It can show us what God's desires are. But the power only comes as we are relying on this ally that we have, the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus has done. He saved and redeemed us. And what Paul announced to us before is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son is in us, giving us strength to rely and hope and trust to live out the freedom that we have. Paul is saying we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right, Paul. All this this terminology is, is great, but what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit. Um, uh, this, this terminology of being kept in the Spirit is, is, of, uh, uh, is like following a, a military leader. I have an example here of something that might help us understand it a little, a little more. This comes from, uh, hopefully there's no flashbacks for any of our, our Coasties. This is from, uh, I think, from some Coast Guard cadence stuff from, uh, from basic... Uh, Basic training. of that. I was reading some up on cadence uh, stuff. Um, it, it helps set the pace of running so that you're keeping in track with the person who's leading you so that you're moving as, as a unit as you're, uh, as you're running. It's not just a, a jogging thing. This is preparation for, for battle so that as you're, you're listening to the one who's calling out and you're able to, to, to work as one unit together to accomplish the purpose that's gone on, that you're not running at your own pace and causing confusion for everybody else, that you're not running all over here. When everybody else, when the, 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 the leader, the drill sergeant or whoever's leading you off in this direction, 
It's a call and response as the the leader calls out and you hear and then you respond acknowledging that you're understanding what's happening, keeping in step, in rhythm, in time, running as the leader would have you run. This illustration that Paul gives us helps us understand what he means when he's talking about walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit calls out. He calls out to God's people. He speaks to us. How? Through the Word. The Spirit of God speaks to the people of God through the Word of the Scriptures, through the words of the sacraments, reminding and communicating to us the truth of the Gospel, reminding us of our identity, reminding us of His love for us, and that the way that He's leading us is for our good and for His purposes. What is the response It's us calling back in worship, in prayer, in dependency. You see, uh, a part of what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, is that we must be listening to the call of the Spirit. We, as God's people, in order to live out the freedom that we have in Jesus, we must be people of the Word. We must listen to the call regularly. This completely transforms any of your perceptions, I hope, of the idea that if you read your Bible, God will love you more. That's not why He's given it to you. That was never the intention. Remember, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. God has given you His Word to instruct you, to encourage you, to show you how He wants you to live. The call that is there, the reminder of the Gospel and the strength that we have. We've been given prayer to respond, to communicate back to God. But also, uh, think about this. What if you are out on your, your, your march, your cadence run, And all of a sudden you realize you're going the opposite direction of everybody else. How do you realize it? Well, they're headed one way. You're going the other. The sound, the call of the leader is distant in your ears. You have to recognize, oh, where where am I going? What are my actions doing? Am I running in time and step? Am I following the, the, the leader as he's calling me or am I going my own way? part of what it looks like to walk, to keep in step with the Spirit is that we need to be constantly looking and evaluating our own lives, the pace of our running, the direction of our running, and comparing it to how the Spirit would call us. And when we realize that we're headed the wrong way, we turn back. It's called repentance. Calling out to the Spirit and saying... I recognize that I'm going the wrong way. These desires are in my heart that are leading me astray. Forgive me. Change me. Keep me in track, in pace with you. That the call of the Gospel, the call of the Spirit, would not only be louder, but that it would be more beautiful than these desires of the flesh that are in my heart. But also notice... 
I've never been on the Coast Guard base. I don't know. But I've, I, in the cadence stuff that I've seen, I've never seen one guy running with the drill instructor. And it may happen if you get in trouble. I'm not exactly sure. But the whole design of it is that it's a group. It's happening in community. And as you're running together, as you're calling out together, you are encouraging one another. You're shaping and understanding your identity and you're, in, you're helping support one another as you pursue and follow the one who's leading you. What have we seen? Paul communicating to us in Galatians that we've been united into one body through the work of Jesus. It's necessary and important. Notice how many times in this uh, in this passage at the beginning, he talks about in verse 15 about about biting, devouring one another in the end in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's the importance of these uh, relationships with the others who are a part of the body of Jesus that we need to be focused on, because Paul is saying keeping short accounts, repenting and making sure our relationship with with our our fellow uh, team members, our family, and the Holy Spirit is all a part of this. This is what the Scriptures point us to of being uh, the means of grace, the Word, the sacraments, prayer. In order for us as God's people to live out and fully experience the freedom that we have in Jesus, we must understand the ally that we have in the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And more and more, as we begin to pray and walk with the Spirit, what begins to happen is that the Spirit is at work in our lives as we begin to realize before we're two blocks away and then realize, oops, I've been running my own way and I've lost the leader. Early on, well, it'll happen sooner and sooner where we're realizing, oh, I'm out of, I'm out of line. Let me get back. Or we begin to, to, to notice the feelings, the emotions, the mind thinking as shame creeps up or as loneliness comes in. And we realize, oh, it's when this happens in my life, when I feel like I've been uh, rejected, that I'm really tempted and prone to chasing after a desire to find my fulfillment in other than Jesus, that we'll recognize those things and we will call out to the Spirit in prayer, in longing, in dependence, saying, Holy Spirit, change me. Help me to resist this desire of the flesh now and go where you would have me to go. It's a constant dialogue. If we are trying to live out the Christian life in our own strength or through the rules that we make, separated from the Spirit, we will fail. The way we experience the freedom is not just understanding our, or knowing our opposition, but knowing our ally and resting and relying on the third person of the Trinity who dwells in us, the Holy Spirit. But Paul closes up with one uh, last kind of uh, thing that he's pointing the churches, the churches in Galatia and us to. Knowing our opposition, knowing our ally, but also the importance of knowing our identity. Uh, this, this kind of life 
that we're hoping to, to live, that we're longing to live in faithfulness and dependency upon our God, actually, it, it flows out of our identity. Notice, as Paul continues to remind the Galatians and us in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. In verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit and the structure of uh, this Greek sentence is ass- assuming the positive answer, and I know that you are, that your identity is you are, you are free, you are brothers, you are those who are led by the Spirit. In verse 24, those who belong to Christ, you belong to Christ. In verse 25, if you live, if we live by the Spirit... Paul reminding us and pointing us back. How did you come into uh, your, your life with God, come into to being in the beginning? You were dead in your sin. The Spirit is the one who brought you to life. Living out the Christian life is done in a response to who you already are in Jesus. You were found in Christ. You belong to Christ. You are made alive by the Spirit. This is the core of your new identity. Um, What should define you most and what should uh, shape our identity in knowing who we are is not uh, the fact that we we struggle with with this sin, that our core identity is not sinner any longer, but it's the one who has been redeemed who has been saved, who belongs to Jesus and the Spirit is at work in you and the Spirit is leading you. Uh, This is uh, uh, something that we need to be uh, uh, aware of because not only does uh, this life as we're living out the Christian life flow out of this identity, but as we're walking and trusting and depending on the Spirit, it actually confirms our identity and gives us assurance. Notice, as he contrasts here in the the last part of this passage, the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Paul says that one of the ways that that we begin to understand who we are, who our identity is, how we gain confirmation and assurance is through the fruit or the works that are displayed in our life. Think about it like this. What if I told you, hey, you know what? This summer... I planted a banana tree in my backyard. It is awesome. It grew huge. Uh, had, you know, all the, the, the leaves came out. There are blossoms all over it. And then when it came time to, to pick the fruit off, you would, 
You wouldn't believe what we got off of it. I mean, it was amazing what this banana tree produced. Look at this awesome fruit. It's so juicy and smells so great. What, what would you say to me? Jason, I know you got some fruit off of that tree, but I'm not exactly sure if it was a banana tree. Why? Because oranges don't come from banana trees. That's what Paul is saying. If it is true that you belong to Jesus, if it is true that the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God dwells in you, then you will see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, fruit takes time to grow. It may be more plentiful in some than others. It may be happen over a long process, but you will see the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, evident in your heart and your life. What happens if I'm not seeing it? I call out to the Spirit. Change me. Shape me. But the other is true too. What if, like Paul is saying, there's warnings here. What if your life is more characterized by the works of the flesh? Now, what Paul is talking here is not about people who, oh, you got drunk one time. Sorry, you're never entering into the kingdom of God. Oh, you committed sexual immorality once. You blew up. I saw it. I saw it last week. You yelled at your kid because of that Ninja Turtle sock in the hallway. Burst of anger. Ah, you're out. No. What Paul is talking about is a, a life that is characterized by continual practice, unrepentant, unchanged, committed lifestyle of this that characterizes the person. What is Paul saying? The result of which will be you will not enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because you weren't good enough? Because you didn't perform enough? No. Because you claimed to be a banana tree and you were producing oranges. You were an orange tree the whole time. Paul is saying we need to be aware of our identity. Our identity is confirmed through the work of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the work and the power of the Spirit in your heart and your life? Are you seeing changes, not just in your actions, but in your grief over your sin? Because you will sin. You will fail. The flesh is still in you, those desires. How are you responding? Remember, our only hope is in what God is doing through us by the Spirit as we live out the Christian life. The good news of the Gospel <clears throat> is not just that Jesus saves you from hell when you hope in Him, but that through the work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in you. The Spirit of Christ who is working in you, making you more and more like Jesus. And guess what? When you belong to Christ, when the Spirit has given you life, 
God will accomplish His purposes. Banana trees will produce bananas. And those who have been made alive by the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit to the glory of Jesus. Are you lost and struggling in your sin now? Call out to God in faith. Call and plead to Him to change you. He answers those prayers. Are you straying and running away? Turn back. Call out to the Spirit. Use the freedom that you have in Jesus to turn from the desires of the flesh and call out to the Spirit to work and move and change and to continue to deliver you. This is the good news of the Gospel. This is the life that Jesus has called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You that the Gospel is true. We thank You that not only were we saved by grace through faith in Christ, but we were sanctified. We live out the Christian life again by grace through faith. Would You turn us, Your people, more to You, more to the Spirit, that the fruit that You would have produced in us that would be for Your glory um, and for the fulfillment of Your purposes, the nourishment of the nations would come from us through Your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, as 